0: Welcome to the September episode of A Garden Runs Through It, a podcast of the UC Master Gardener program of Calusa County, sponsored by Stitches, Embroidery, and Customs in Calusa. I'm Jerry, your host and Master Gardener coordinator of the Calusa County program. On today's episode, we're joined by Cynthia and Liz. Before we start, let's talk about gardening chores and upcoming events. September brings some gardening chores. What should you be doing in the garden this month? Well, you could start doing cool weather stuff. So, cool weather annual flowers like pansies, violas, snapdragons can be transplanted. Also, transplants of broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, and kale. And you can direct seed things like peas, spinach, radishes, lettuce, and carrots. September is a good time to consider reducing the size of your lawn. It's also a good time to rejuvenate your lawn with overseeding. Put your spent annual and vegetables in your compost pile. Add compost to the beds that had annuals and vegetables that you are pulling out, but before you replant. And be sure to clear out any weeds that developed in your perennial beds. We have some upcoming UC Master Gardener events in Colusa County. It is time for us to take out the summer garden and plant the winter garden. We are expanding our winter garden in Williams to the fourth square. This is very exciting. The vegetables that we harvest are for the food distribution at the college. So you can visit our garden in Williams at the Education Village to see the changes. Winter gardens are planted in September. I know that sounds kind of weird. But this includes broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, cabbage, carrots, kale, lettuce, peas, chard, and spinach, along with others. We will be at the Clusa County Employee Benefits and Safety Fair on September 3rd. So if you're a Clusa County employee, come by and see us. So Cynthia and Liz, what is our topic today?
1: Well, for me, it's always trees. I mean, here we are. It is so hot right now. This morning at seven o'clock, I opened the kitchen door, and it was
0: eighty-two. And this uh, is in August. This, this we is record August. in August. Yes, yes.
1: So, until the late twentieth century, tree planting choices were largely based on aesthetics and changing fashion. Now, we don't think of clothes on our trees. But in our area in Northern California, different trees have been in and out of style, just like the clothes from the bell-bottoms to the hip-huggers, and they were often planted in monoculture. So a monoculture is when everybody wears the same t-shirt on the same day. And, you know, it'll look really cute if you're doing some kind of a, a routine at school for a Field trip or something, but it also means that if something happens to the, that monoculture of trees that are all alike, guess what? They're all going to get the same disease like the Modesto ash and the fruitless mulberry and the liquid ambers with those stupid little balls and ornamental pears taking their turns in the spotlight, and then we get to live with the results. All of those trees were planted for their appearance or for their attributes, like the liquid amber. Oh, it grows fast, and it's got these cute, lovely red leaves in the fall. And they're gorgeous. Yeah, we've all seen them. But then we found out that those little gumballs that fall off of them are treacherous to walk on. The tree is susceptible to every pest and disease. They have intrusive roots, weak branches. And guess what? Now we're stuck with them. They're 15 or 20 years old. And if we'd have planted something different, we'd be in better shape. So today we try and take a better, more scientific approach. Over the last 40 years, We've observed species that grow in the climate and soils without serious disease or structural concerns. And in some instances, science has helped us out by taking a tree we really, really like. And I'm going to mention the Chinese pistachio. Now, I know in your neighborhood somebody planted one and they've got those stupid little peppery, peppercorn-licking balls on them that make a mess. And they get, they're prone to getting aphid infestations. And then you got all this stuff on the sidewalk and it gets all over your animals. But science came along and said, hey, that is a great tree. It's beautiful in the fall. It's got a nice shape. It's a medium-sized tree that you can plant even if there's overhead wires. And they came up with a variety called Keith Davey. No little peppercorn balls, no aphid infestations, and all the original attributes that we really liked about it.
0: Yeah, when I lived on Park Hill, there was a a tree there in front of my house. And what a mess. What a
1: mess. So when you're looking at getting a tree, does it have a strong structure? Does it have sturdy branch attachments? Take a good look. One of the things about the elm trees is they had wonderful branch attachments. And can they departmentalize decay? So if a branch gets broken off, does the bark come up around it and form kind of a callus? That's the tree saying, I can take care of this. And can it withstand the stress of being in an urban environment? If you live out in the middle of 150,000 acres, you don't need to worry about that. But not most of us do. So you need to know, is it going to stand the pollution from the trucks and the cars and all of the rest of the things? Is it going to take the dust? Is it going to take the paved surfaces and all the heat and the compacted soil?
0: And the lights.
1: Oh, yeah. Lots of light. Yeah, yeah. So, Liz, what do you think about all of this?
0: I think it's
2: probably an excellent idea to select trees that are appropriate for your... Climate and your soil. Um, among those that you see frequently in this area are crepe myrtles. Crepe myrtles? Not a tree. Okay. It's oh, a shrub. It's a shrub. It's a shrub. Yeah. Okay, so we have misclassified it. How about desert willows? Desert willows are good, um,
1: but you know, they've taken the desert willow and crossed it with the catalpa tree. And it's called the Catalpa tashkentensis.
2: Oh my! I
1: think I
0: want one of those. You,
1: you, everybody should have one. They only get about thirty feet tall after a lot of years. They bloom for almost two months, and they don't have those funny little bean seed pods that you get out of the catalpa tree. So it has the drought-worthy side from the desert willow, and a, a longer, strappy-looking leaf, and these gorgeous flowers. And there's some down in Colusa, right off of Market Street on First Street in front of that little Mexican bakery. They're less than, oh, I'm going to say six years old. I lose track of time. And they're gorgeous. They're they're probably already 15 feet across. There's power lines there that it's not going to ever bother. So yeah, they've taken two great trees and made an even better one.
2: And then there's the oak various varieties right um slow growing some yeah the Schumarti,
1: the shumarti i actually we've planted a half a dozen of them around town and they get they'll grow three to five feet a year which is pretty good you now imagine if your kids grew that fast
2: <laughs> frightening so after you plant this tree what would be your advice as to care of that tree in summer
1: well the first thing is don't go buy a tree to plant this week please um generally speaking october november even into december and then the spring the early spring and late summer winter months like february january if it's not really really wet and even into march because the soil moisture is usually pretty good the external heat is at a low spot and the trees don't have to survive too many awkward things at the same time. It's kind of like when your kid comes home and they've just gotten a mouth brace, a back brace, and something else that's going to embarrass them in front of their friends. So you don't want to load too much onto a tree. So one of the first things you need to do is when that tree gets planted, or if you've had one planted recently, Make sure that there is a basin beneath that tree where nothing is growing. That basin should be at least 24 inches across. Now that means in the middle of that is your tree. So at least 12 inches on any side of the tree. And what you're going to do with that basin is that's your water basin. Just like the one in your sink in, in the bathroom. You have a basin where you put water to wash your face or whatever. And that basin is going to allow you to know that you're putting a a copious amount of water on. Um, There's a couple of other ways that you can do. But if you fill that basin slowly with a hose, at least once a week, then your tree is going to be getting enough water. And it's not going to be competing with grass. So... If it's hot like it has been here in August and like it was in July, then you may need to fill that basin two times or even three times. It's not going to be too much water because it's going to dissipate, go down into the ground, and help that tree in more ways than one. So at least two or three gallons of water. So I just take the hose and let it trickle in there and set a timer Or else you'll come back and find that hose trickling the next morning. So make sure you remember that you've set it in there. And the other thing I do is we keep a bucket in our shower. And there have been times in California when our drought situation has been so severe, we're told to wet down, lather up, turn off the water, and don't turn it back on until you're ready to rinse. So when you're waiting for the water to get hot in your faucet, collect that water. It's at this point absolutely free. If somebody walked up to your door and gave you a $5 bill, you'd take it and you'd want to do something fun with it, like go go down and get an ice cream. Who knows? But at the same time, the water that you let run down the drain is free to you. You've paid for it when you used it to begin with. So put it in a bucket we keep a bucket in the in the bottom of the shower. And a couple of times a week, I go out and dump it on plants that need a little bit of extra water. So another thing that you need to remember to do when you've planted that tree, it's going to come with a stake. And that stake is going to be closer than you can get your two fingers together with a piece of plastic tape wrapped around it. That's to give it support in a pot. When you put that tree into the ground, Take that stake away immediately because it's choking your tree. Put a rubber band around your two fingers together really, really tight and see how long you can stand that before all of a sudden you need some help. So take away that stake, and if the tree immediately flops over, well, that can happen, but you need to get larger stakes and place them 18 inches away on the east and west sides of the tree. Not the north and south, the east and the west. And somebody said, well, but the the wind blows from the north and the south. Precisely. When the wind is blowing, you want that tree to be able to move. So with those stakes on the east and west side, it's going to allow the tree to move and build up strength in that trunk. That kind of a staking shouldn't stay much more than a year, two at the max. So if it still flops over, you may have other issues going on, and you may need to go back to that place where you bought that tree. So um, right now, you're going to have a hard time finding many trees in the nurseries because they don't recommend that you plant them either, but come fall, This is the time when you should be doing that and being aware of it.
2: So if you were terribly irresponsible and bought trees before it got hot and you have trees sitting in black pots somewhere on your property, how would you go about caring for those trees until it's time to put them in the ground?
1: Well, first of all, you need to, if you can have any way of shading them, even one of those pop-up tents, you know, they're cheap. Go buy one and and put your plants underneath there and make sure you set a sprinkler or a hose into each one of those pots every single day because there's nothing to protect the roots and they're surrounded by black plastic, which not only is impermeable to water, all the water runs out the bottom and then it helps heat up the roots at the same time.
2: That sounds like... Very good advice. Um, what about mulch Oh, when, when it's warm like it is now?
1: So one of the things I've been watching for the last couple of years, a lot of people are taking out the grass in their mow strip. That's the area between the street and the sidewalk. And I'm a proponent of that because it's hard to water it's hard to uh, keep it looking good because it gets so hot out there and you end up with a lot of weeds. So what I'm seeing is people are removing that grass, killing whatever is left, and then they're covering it with some kind of mulch. And unfortunately, they're putting the very worst thing that you can do and then putting a poor tree in the midst of it. So if you had a ranking of the best mulch and the worst, decomposed granite is down there at the very, very bottom. The only thing that it would be worse is just plain old rocks. They absorb heat. They put it off into the plant. Um, that plastic weed mulch is just as bad as rocks because it's, it's not permeable, and it makes the tree roots... Hot, even hotter than they would without it. So, and it keeps cycling back into the soil, all of that hot, and if you do put water on it, the hot water, and organic matter breaks down on top of it, so guess where your weeds are going to go? They're going to go on that stuff that's breaking down on top of that, and you're going to have more weeds than you had in your grass that you removed. So, something that's just as bad is artificial turf. It's made of plastic and it's a little bit better than decomposed granite or rubber or any of the other stuff, but not much. Um, The artificial plastic heats the soil, increases its need for trees and blocks organic matter from breaking down to feed the soil. So that means you've got to fertilize it even more. So, Something that some people do is they cut their grass and they take their grass clippings and think, oh, well, this is compost. Well, someday it will be. But right now it is something that will actually pull nitrogen out of your soil so that that grass can break down. It secretes chemicals that make your tree grow slowly. Trees have different water requirements than grass, and they need a slower and deeper soak to grow strong and healthy. Some trees, like native trees that are adapted to dry summers, could actually be harmed by summer turf irrigation. But that's not what we're talking about in our yards, mostly. Mature trees that have grown up surrounded by grass won't be harmed by it. But if you stop watering your lawn to conserve water, guess what you're depriving of water? That tree. So something that's okay to use is bark in your tree in your tree basin Uh, you can buy it from garden centers or landscape suppliers and it's basically chunks of the outer bark of a different tree but it's a little bit waxy and that makes it a little water resistant because the part of the tree doesn't break down as easily as wood chips but it does help a little bit but it won't improve your soil much the bark will conserve some moisture but it doesn't lock together. Now, when I talk about locking together, imagine putting your fingers together in between them. Remember the little thing? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Look at there. Well, that's what happens when you put down something like the stuff that people cut branches off the tree and grind. That is the best thing you can put underneath your trees. They're natural wood chips. Arborus wood chips, whatever you want to call it. It's got leaves in it, it's got twigs in it, it's got bark, and it's got some wood. And if you apply it in four to six inches thick, the uneven side of those wood chips is going to allow them to lock together with all those leaves and those twigs and the sticks and all of that. And it's going to form a mass that is permeable. Permeable means water's going to go through it. It'll loosen the compaction in the soil you've already got. It'll feed some beneficial soil microbes as those leaves break down quickly. And it actually provides some nutrition. And then if you come along with an inch or so of compost on top of that, you have got the best. So if you know somebody that's got bales of straw, and eh, maybe they grew some wheat and they've got some broken up bales, those are good too. But they're not as good as those natural wood chips. Now, sometimes when you take out turf, people will lay down cardboard. And it's called sheet mulching. Or the other thing they call it is lasagna mulching. And it's thick mats of cardboard layered with newspaper underneath your wood chips to smother the grass naturally. Now, that cardboard's going to break down. We've all picked up a cardboard box that's been wet. What happens? Bottom falls out. So choose cardboard that's unwaxed and free of plastic or staples. And be sure you wet it really, really well before you apply the cardboard. And then soak the cardboard as you put it down.
0: Also free of tape. Yeah. Tape, yeah. Yes.
1: Plastic tape and all of that, nothing will work. And who wants to get poked by a giant staple that you haven't remembered to take out? So periodically check the soil beneath that cardboard to make sure water's still reaching the roots. You don't want it to dry out and form a, a, like a vapor barrier because then, then you're just creating problems. So mulch is one of the best things that you can do for your tree. And that way when you're out there, you'll know that that basin is still available to keep your, water, your, your trees happy.
2: So the other thing I would sort of wonder about is you have a tree and it's very, very hot. What are the symptoms of heat stress that you would see in your tree that you would? Create?
1: Pretty much pretty much the same thing you see in people. They move slower. The branches droop down. And every once in a while, you'll have something pretty dramatic happen called sudden limb drop. Now, that isn't because a tree has been overwatered. That's because the tree got so hot that it took up as much water as it could and pulled it to the ends. Remember, it's always defying gravity, pulling water up through the trunk system. And then it gets out into the limbs. And when it gets into the limbs, where does it go? To those little ones at the end. And it collects. And then there's no more water to come up. So gravity always wins. And if it gets way too sloggy out in the end of those branches, it can snap off that branch. So sudden limb drop is not something that anybody wants to see. And sometimes it happens right over a sidewalk or a playground or your car. Your car. Mm-hmm. And But keeping an even moisture for your trees will help prevent that. If, if it's gotten really hot and you haven't given them any tree for air, water for two weeks, and then you go out and you flood it, boy, that tree is going to be like five giant straws trying to suck up as much water as it can.
2: Okay, What's the best time of day to water a tree during hot weather?
1: Early in the morning. Early in the morning, your heat will be at its lowest part. And it gives the tree a chance to work slowly instead of, you know, it's like if you drink water too fast or you eat ice cream too fast, what happens? You get one of those headache things, like, like a brain freeze. Well, your tree would be happier getting that moisture first thing in the morning when it's still reasonably cool outside.
0: Thank you, Cynthia and Liz. That was very interesting. So the Master Gardeners will be recruiting new Master Gardeners in January. So we're inviting you or someone you know to join our team. We are trained by experts in their field. You don't need to be an expert in gardening or even have a nice garden. We will teach you where to find information. If we don't know an answer, then we say, I don't know, but I will look it up and get back to you. Trainings are in Yuba City, starting January twenty fourth to May eighth, but only once a week. So get a so contact us and um, we'll tell you more. For more information or insightful tips and gardening hints, visit the Master Gardeners of Clusa County on Facebook or visit our website ceclusa. .ucanr.edu. Also, visit our Facebook page for event information and videos. Remember to sign up for our monthly gardening newsletter. A link will be in the notes of the show. Cynthia and Liz, thank you for joining me on another episode of our podcast. Thank you for listening to "A Garden Runs Through It," a podcast of the UC Master Gardener Program of Calusa County. Until next time, keep your hands dirty.